Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. The world of professional sport, for all its buzz, excitement, and entertainment it can produce, is also recognized as a house of a different sort for those living within it. I mean, take the highly competitive nature of what it represents, the stakes as they relate to wins, and of course, the losses. Individuals who operate in this space, no matter the sport, need to adjust, or quite simply, they will not last. Perhaps like no other, the sport of golf represents one of the most cutthroat there is. Very little is guaranteed week to week, and the variance between glory and bust is slight. Of course, players come to mind first in this sport. However, make no mistake, they are far from the only ones who ride this roller coaster of emotion while on tour. Pro caddies are very much part of this, and in some cases have even more vested in the wins and losses. Well, on today's show, we have the opportunity to get a peek into the world of professional sport and caddying by way of a guest who, through his wide and varied experiences, can shed some direct insight on this career and way of life. All right, welcome to the show. So Mike Darby is a Vancouver, Canada-based professional PGA Tour golf caddy. And he's been so for well over a decade. And his accomplishments include being on the bag for many pros, including his current teaming with golf legend and two-time U.S. Open champion, Lee Jansen. Mike's knowledge of the game, preparedness, and cerebral approach to it all has amounted to success in the form of being part of three PGA Tour wins as well as three other major tournament victories across North America. And today, Mike will share some of the hidden details of this profession, including some of the visceral challenges he and other pro caddies face, as well as some of the highs one may encounter within this unique line of work. So with all this said, Mike, I couldn't be more thrilled to welcome you to the show. Yeah, how are you doing? Excellent. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, really excited to get into this. I mean, it's you know, we're speaking off the top before the recording. I mean, it's a line of work that I just don't think a lot of people have much understanding of, including myself. I was going to say, as far as I know, there's less than 10 of us that did it full time on the PGA Tour when I last tried to figure it out. So it is, it is oh, very our Canadians. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, even from a global perspective, I think like there's this like basic idea of what the profession entails, but it's, it's almost surface level, right? I mean, like the, the, the hidden details of it are just, yeah, I, I think it's it's a black box for a lot of people, like myself, myself included. So I'm really excited to get into this. And I do have this first segment lined up here today, something called Coloring Wikipedia. And as my guests know, it's basically a segment where I just read off a definition of what the guest does, sometimes or industry. And it just kind of gives this jumping off point into the discussion. And, uh, you know, admittedly, I'm going to forewarn you here, the definition of caddy by Wikipedia is pretty simplistic. So much so that, you know, I, I hope you don't take offense to it. But I think it is so basic in the sense that we can add to it and, and how you interpret the work that you do. So uh, I do have you down again for Caddy. So just let me read that up and uh, I'll ask some questions after. Does that sound all right? Excellent. Okay, perfect. Here we go. So Caddy. In golf, a Caddy is the person who carries a player's bag and clubs and gives the player advice and moral support. Again, very short, very simplistic. First take, what do you think of that? It is very simplistic. Yeah, the, the modern caddy, the role has changed so much. I mean, you could add to that sports psychologist, uh, shoulder to cry on, maybe even whipping boy some days. 
marriage counselor even you, you never know uh <laughs> it's just it's very involved from uh, from a technical standpoint as well too in terms of the information that we gather nowadays it's it's changed a lot over the last say 20 years yeah yeah and i think that's the, the most compelling aspect about all of this is is again i think the perception of what people might consider the line of work is still kind of attached to this basic Wikipedia definition. But the things that you were just alluding to right there are exactly the types of things that I'm really excited about learning a little bit more in the in the course of this talk. Outside of what you just added to that, would is there anything else? Or is there anything you'd like to sort of like de-emphasize? Like, yes, this this aspect is important, but it's not the most important thing. Ah, no, that was that, that's pretty much all I have to add to it at, at the moment, actually. Okay, sure. In terms of, I guess, the the practical elements of, of your line of work, you know, I think I, I in researching this talk, I came across a YouTube video, it might have been you and another caddy kind of breaking down like 10 different points of like, this is what you should do if you are a pro caddy. And this is what you, know, you shouldn't be doing. You could share a few of those basic things because it kind of, you know, paints a picture of some of the the fundamentals, I suppose, if you will. Absolutely. My uh, friend of mine and myself were asked to do that in 2015. It was a training video meant for the PJ Tour Canada. So a very okay. basic video of do's and don'ts for uh, for group training, uh, because on the Canadian tour, they get caddies given to them. So it was just the basics of, yeah. you know, show up, keep up, shut up kind of thing. That was the original caddy mantra. But uh, just, you know, where to where to stand and what to do, um, how to dress, just to, the, that was the real basics of it, that yeah. video. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it certainly was. Okay. All right. Well, I encourage anyone who is interested to go check it out. Because again, it, it does kind of give that that basic overview of, yes. of some of the aspects of it. But of course, there's much, much more to it we'll get into later on. In terms of, you know, a typical day for you while you are on tour, I understand that you are heading out, you know, next week you know, for, a, for yes. another uh, uh, competition. Like, wh what is that like when you are on tour? Maybe you could break that down for us a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Monday is typically a travel day for us. Each trip or tournament will be one week total. So Monday will be the travel day. Tuesday, we'll typically play a practice round, my player and I. And uh, if I have homework to do, I'll be walking the golf course either before or after that. Uh, if it's a course I've been to before, it's pretty much just a review. But if it's a course I've never been to, I need about six or eight hours walking the golf course to get the info that I need. On our tour, which is the Champions Tour, pro-ams are on Wednesday and Thursday. And then the, the tournament runs Friday through Sunday, three days typically, whereas on the PJ Tour, it's Thursday through Sunday. So that's that's our typical week, right? Now, our majors, the U.S. Open, PJ Championship, British Open, et cetera, those are four-round tournaments. And after two rounds, they cut. They make a cut for the field. Yeah, okay. So that's oh. our typical week, yeah. Okay. Getting back to that point of you know, doing your homework, you know, finger-quoting yes. this here, doing your homework and walking the course six to, seven, six to eight hours or so, whatever it was. What are you looking for there in, in, in that? I mean, the angles, I suppose, or, you know, things to avoid. I mean, maybe you could shed some light on that. And that's a good question. Yeah, we're we're given a yardage book at the start of the week where we purchase it or some tournaments give it to us for free. It's very detailed. There's a lot of information, a lot of numbers uh, measured from sprinkler heads and specific points on the course to different points on the green. So what I, when I'm walking a course that I've never seen before, you want to get lines off the tee, like sight lines where we'd want to hit it. You'll be looking at the book. And then in terms of strategy, you know, you don't have to hit driver all the time on a par four or five. We'd want to miss it if we had to where we can and cannot hit it. Uh, most of the time is spent around the greens, right? Uh, learning the slopes, uh, the, the breaks, 
what's around the greens. Like, I mean, if there's water behind the green, I have to know when we're planning from the fairway, stay short of that flag stick. So yeah, most of my time is spent around the greens learning that. And um, uh, I'll, with my laser that I have, I will check a bunch of things uh, to confirm the information that's in the yardage book, especially on hilly courses. Like my laser measures uphill and downhill based on a slope percentage. So I'll check those numbers that are in the book because sometimes they are wrong, right? It might, might say it's 10 yards uphill and it's actually only five yards uphill. So just, just do it, yeah, doing your homework, collecting as much information as possible in the, the period of time that you have and uh, be as prepared as possible. I find that um, the more prepared you are, the less nervous you are and uh, the more confident you are. And uh, it's funny how the, the harder I work, the luckier I get, it seems. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think I think, you know, in the course of what you're just sharing right there, I think we're just shredding that Wikipedia, you know, image or definition right out of the gate, which is great, because it sounds, all, you know, obviously, what you're just explaining there, like much more complex, much more in depth than, uh, than, than that simple definition there. And uh, yeah, it perfectly sort of encapsulates some of those elements. I'm sure there's much more to it. One other quick question, we'll follow up on that as well. This yardage book that you said that you either purchase or you're given, is that something you're able to access while you're you know, in the tournament itself, or is that hands off? Is that something that you can, you can prepare using it, but you can't actually use it during the tournament? Absolutely. Yes. We use it on every hole during the tournament. That's our only point of reference. Actually, you're uh, under the rules, not allowed to use a mechanical device as of right now, like my laser, I can't use it during the tournament. That's why I gather all the information before the event. Now, like on the LPJ tour, you, you can use a laser now. And recently they've allowed us to use a mechanical compass but I, I draw in my book when I'm doing my homework, um, compass angles. That's for, uh, so we know which direction the wind is coming from. Like I'll check the forecast every day. I'll know the wind speed and direction for every hour that we're out on the golf course. So you have, even when you can't feel it, you have a general idea where it's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Oh, I'm loving this already. Outside of this, I guess once you're off tour and you have that downtime in between tournaments, I'd say you know, to what degree are you still kind of like pulled into it? You know, maybe it's researching the next tournament, you're, 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 you know, preparing or planning, or maybe it's just you're decompressing. I don't know. I mean, what, what is that side of it like? A lot of both. Everyone has their own uh, concept of downtime. But just before you and I started speaking here, I was checking out on on the golf channel, which I love the my friends are at the Phoenix Open this week. It's one of the, the most crazy tournaments ever. They get about half a million people going to that. So I'll see how how the boys are doing. And follow uh, other tournaments around the world. I have um, some friends on the LPJ tour as well too, and just see how they're doing, try and keep up to date with what's going on. And uh, we're not playing in Morocco this week, but my tour is in Morocco. So this morning, yes, I was watching the event, see how the conditions were, and it looks very difficult there, but I really wanted to be there, but my player had a, another commitment, so we didn't go this week. But yeah, just try and keep up with what everybody's doing and uh, current on, on, the, on the info. Well, maybe we could slide into another segment here, Mike, uh, something called Pathways. And uh, it's a rather new segment that I've introduced in the program in the last two or three months. But basically, the idea here is to kind of show the pathway of a professional. You know, where they've ended up, of course, now is not as simple or straightforward as what people might assume. Oftentimes, there's, you know, left turns, right turns, zigging and zagging, so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, in research from this, for this talk in particular with you, I understand that you reluctantly got into the sport and, uh, maybe you could sort of share a little bit, uh, you know, the backstory of how you ended up where you are. That's true. As being a Canadian, you know, you're forced to play hockey growing up. That's it. You put on yeah, the skates. Yeah. So 
I grew up playing yeah, hockey, baseball, tennis, all that. Uh, when I was about 19 years old, my grandpa would force me to go with him on Saturday mornings. I'd have to get up early, sometimes hungover, and we'd go and play golf. <laughs> and at first I hated it, but then the switch flipped. And like a lot of people, it became almost an addiction. I mean, a good addiction. And I just fell in love with the sport and the challenge of it, knowing that it'll never be conquered. You can spend the rest of your life playing it. And then from there, I remember watching it on TV once and my mom goes, what are you going to be a pro golfer? And I said, well, I got nothing else going on. Why don't I try that? So I, I started competing as an amateur, but I mean, I started late when I was 20 or 21 years old. So that's ancient in golf terms. These guys, you're playing against guys who've been playing since they were five years old and uh, competed as an amateur, had some moderate success, but I just knew in my heart that it wouldn't, um, that, I, that I wasn't going to make it at that level. And I just stumbled into caddying uh, when a friend of mine qualified for the BC amateur and I didn't, and it was at my home course and that burned me up. But I caddied for him and just realized I, I loved it a lot more than um, playing myself. I, I just don't feel the pressure, the same pressure as a caddy. And just from there, I thought, okay, how are we going to do this? And I started on the Canadian tour and it just it all took off from there. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you raise there. I mean, the, the stress and the pressure of it all and probably the intensity of the competition. It, it, it's certainly there on both sides, but just maybe in a different form, I, I guess, is what maybe you're you're getting at there. And uh, again, that's something we're getting but yeah, really an interesting side to it all. I do have uh, another question. I'd like to kind of follow up, sort of segueing from that uh, discussion there in this Q&A discovery segment. And uh, we're fast forwarding. You know, we were just in your past here, fast forwarding somewhat, not all the way up here. But uh, I've got this quote from an article back in 2015. It was a bit of a formative moment highlighting, you know, your career and accomplishment when you were counting for Canadian Nick Taylor. And uh, let me just read this quote off here for you and for listeners, of course, too. We wasted no time starting the 2015 season by winning our fourth start, the Sanderson Farms Championship in Jackson, Mississippi. This was my first PGA Tour win. My dream was finally achieved. All the blood, sweat, and tears were finally worth it. We'd made it. And there's one thing in there that I really keyed in on. I'm going to read that again. The blood, sweat, and tears were finally worth it. Tell me a little bit more about that. What, what does that mean to you? Okay, well, for the blood, I guess we could refer to the physical aspect of it. Because uh, think about it, carrying about 40 pounds with a staff bag up and down hills over about six to nine miles per day that we walk. Yeah. And, you know, every now and then you succumb to some injuries as well, too. So the physical aspect, we could refer to that as the blood. Sweat, well, like take, for example, when we went to Malaysia and those types of climates, you're literally dripping with sweat uh, from the time you walk outside to the time you're finished the round. Mm -hmm. So for hot climates, we refer to sweat. Tears. A lot of the low points, because think about it, in golf, you fail, what is it, at least 99% of the time? What's your winning percentage? I mean, very low. So, I mean, we've all had some very low points in the tiers. Yeah, there's been a couple of tiers. Yeah. Not too sure. many, but, you know, there's no crying in golf, right? But yeah, <laughs> I've, I've had a few. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I took this when I read that. I'm just like, just kind of what you're speaking of to a certain degree. But, like, just the amount of of... of struggle that's probably involved in that sport and the difficulty of winning of capturing a win you know, it's yes. just, it's that competitive like i alluded to this off the top like the variance between winning and losing is just ever so slight it's like it's one one shot here two shots there i mean just tiny tiny little variances so like finally overcoming it's major and and, and like what you just said there too i mean in terms of like winning percentages <laughs> losing percentages it is tough tough, tough to win, you know, within the, the PGA Tour or some of these other uh, you know, tournaments that you've been part of. 
So I, I could just imagine finally like that that bursting of of elation in that moment of finally busting through. It must be just overwhelming in so many different respects. Absolutely. The adrenaline rush, you, typically you can't sleep that night. Uh, you're just so amped up and um, you do need some lucky breaks to to go your way without a doubt. Like you hear guys say on the course, oh, it's his day today, right? Because everything seems to go their way when you win. So you do need some luck, but it's, I wish I could describe it. It's the greatest feeling because yeah, all that hard work and the effort you put in and, you know, I have some friends on tour that have been caddying over 20 years. They still have never experienced a win. Uh, why I've been fortunate, I don't know. It's it's just there's a lot of luck involved, you know, right place at the right time. And obviously, like my last one with Lee Jansen in 2021, nothing pointed towards us winning. Nothing. Like he was like throwing a whole bunch of top 40s out there. And it just you never know when your time's going to come. And you just you, the best players in the world, they embrace it like him. He knows how to close the door, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks for shedding some light on that. I got another question here. It's kind of continuing on with what we were just speaking of. I mean, it is a bit of an understatement to say that the nature of your work and what you do, whether, you know, from the player's perspective or from the caddy's perspective, is certainly performance driven. And again, you're certainly one of the more accomplished caddies on tour with, you know, three uh, PGA Tour wins and, you know, was it two or three, three other major tournament victories under your belt. But, you know, you yourself would probably admit like you've experienced a certain degree of churn in terms of, you know, the relationships that you've had with players and who you've been paired with. And you know, maybe you could speak to, to that aspect, if you will, as well, the stress and the pressure of, of the job, of the profession. Absolutely. Most people don't know there is no job security whatsoever. You're typically on, unless you're with a top player in the world, uh, we're on a verbal agreement, basically, right? So either of you could end it at any time. And you'll see a player win and fire his caddy the next week sometimes. Not very often, right? Usually you stick together, but you're subject to momentum, right? So a lot of people don't know that. So that, yeah, I guess if I focused on that, it, it could be very stressful. And in the beginning, it is. it, it was because I didn't have the, uh, the, the reputation or didn't know as many players, right? So when you got fired, it felt like the end of the world. Whereas now, yes, it's very disappointing. And also caddies do fire players. I, I've quit a few times as well, too. But you just have to believe that, you know, there's something good coming around the corner. And if you're a good person, uh, do, you do your job to the best of your ability and you're competent, that, you know, an opportunity will come up. And and I've just been very fortunate that way when uh, one door is closed. And at the time, I thought it was the end of the world. But usually within six months, you're in a better position. So it just you just perseverance. Right, right. And I guess, too, it kind of returns to that point of just being incredibly performance driven. And, uh, you know, just my basic understanding of golf and limited experience within it myself as you know, someone who plays here and there, you know, you, you're always fiddling with your swing. You know, I could do yes. this a little bit differently. I could do that a little bit differently. And I imagine, too, I mean, like, again, on the tour itself, players are trying to gain any advantage that they can and whether it's playing with their swing hiring a new swing coach or maybe it's like no I, i've got to i've got to find somebody else to work with here i got to I, I need a different caddy whether or not like that is grounded in any type of real reality or not it's like mm -hmm. this hyper awareness I'm, I'm assuming at least of these players or insecurities of different things and they're like well i gotta change this i gotta change this i, I need to flip the script here a little bit and Sometimes through no, no fault of your own, perhaps I'm, I'm guessing that caddies might bear the brunt of that at times where players are getting a little bit antsy and like, I've, got, I've got to do something. I've got to do something here. And, and that's one of the. Uh, Absolutely. You'll hear of players firing their, their coach, their agent, the, the, the caddy, right? Uh, most of their team. But 
because they can't fire their wife, right? They're not going to do that. So he, he <laughs> not too often, yeah. them and, and uh, sometimes change is good. So you've seen, yeah, if, if they end up getting a better suited coach or caddy, yes, the change is good. Yeah. In other areas, I've seen some players go through like 10 coaches after that. And then your mind is filled with far too many thoughts and there's a downward slide, unfortunately. But yeah, sometimes change can be good and, and we are, are subject to that, but that's that's part of the business, right? If you don't, if you can't accept that, then you know, go, go take a government position or something that's a little more secure, sure. right? Sure, sure. Well, I do understand as well that uh, early on in your career, they're you know, again, sort of dealing with this. I'd imagine it would be heavy in the beginning. You're trying to manage these emotions. You're trying to do the best you can do, but you're still understanding the industry and how it works and what we were just speaking of there. And uh, you shared some very intimate details of the sport and the stresses and pressures of. You know, what it caused you at, at one point in your career. And, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but if you are comfortable, maybe, maybe you could share a little bit, you know, for listeners who wouldn't fully understand the side of the sport or, or the, the pulls that it can take, I guess, if you will. Oh, absolutely. Like, like I said, there were more than a few low points, but um, anyone that's read that article, I, I'd, I'd spoken about um, just some, some dark thoughts that come your way. So we can laugh about it now that, yeah, I say you're in your thirties, uh, broke living in, in, in a barn on your parents' property, right? I mean, that's just, <laughs> women love that, really. But uh, <laughs> what, what Seth Pepper and I, he's my performance coach, called the, the monkey mind, right? You just, yeah. these dark thoughts that come out of, uh, that aren't valid, that come out of nowhere. And yeah, I had, um, of course, suicidal thoughts can come up. But the, the important point was that I've never harmed myself, never even attempted that. But you just wonder, and I wanted to learn more about mental aspect of the, the sport there, just... You know, it, it, you have these, everyone goes through the valleys in life and they are absolutely horrible, but it, it makes those peaks so much better. And, and I'm just very fortunate to have, have gotten through that. And um, one thing I'd want to say is after I wrote that article about some of the struggles I had, I mean, it, in hindsight, I, I, from a selfish standpoint, I wish I didn't write it, but what came out of that was many players and caddies came to me privately and said, Mike, thanks for writing that article. Right. Yeah maybe yeah. opened up a discussion a bit and you'll see that in all professional sports now, which I'm happy to see yeah. the mental aspect of it and how many people do struggle yeah. With, yeah. with professional sports. So uh, a lot of good came out of it. I, I made some friends outside of golf that contacted me anonymously from writing that. Mm. So in that aspect, it was worth it, right? Yeah. You help yeah, one yeah. person and then it's worth doing something, right? 110%, you know, and we're seeing that we're seeing that, you know, across industries within sports, of course, I mean, people are sharing this information a lot more than certainly what they used to. It's a different sort of view of it all now. And it's because of what you're just speaking of. I mean, it can empower others, you know, and I think maybe as well for the person who does share that type of information, it is empowering for them as well. I mean, it's challenging, it's difficult, but once it's out there, it's out there. And uh, it's you know, admitting that, yes, we're human. You know, we do have these challenging moments in our lives at certain points. And there are those like those valleys there are those peaks. And uh, that's normal and it's natural. So I think, yeah, what, what you shared, certainly, you know, I can see how it would have been impactful for those on tour, people within your circles. And then for those who are just even outside of the sport as well, quite inspiring. So, yeah, I do appreciate you even speaking about it here on this uh, on this program. So I think uh, oh, no maybe worries, even from no this worries. conversation, somebody's listening can take something away from that. So. You did mention uh, one individual's name already and the person that introduced us, Seth Pepper, uh, mental performance coach. 
And uh, maybe we could segue into a conversation about that aspect of managing some of these emotions. And again, I mean, some of the experiences that you've had already in terms of accomplishment, you know, the wins we've already spoken about. I'd like to know about, you know, how that relationship with the mental performance coach, in this case, Seth Pepper, has helped you in, in your career. Oh, wow. Immeasurably. Um, we started working together during the depths of the pandemic. So you talk about a low point, right? I was gone. It was over a year without working. And uh, that's when we just started. I, I decided I wanted to learn and, and get better. And the stuff that we worked on, of course, had an immediate impact. And I'm still learning every day. I'll be a lifelong student. But I think I, I'm able to handle pressure a, a lot better now. I've got a toolkit of things that, that I just can't wait to share with my players. And it's it's just, I can't say enough about how much it's helped me. And and with my win with Lee, one of the little things that was a key spark was uh, Seth suggested I watch old YouTube videos of, of Lee winning tournaments. It not only helped me learn about how he handled the pressure, but also it, it just, you could say, brought positive vibes or energy, or it was something for us to talk about on the golf course. Because in, during a tournament, you only need to focus about one minute at a time, correct? So you've got your four or five hours where there's you better find something to talk about. And I tried to just bring up positive events from his life and have him thinking about that. And you can see their demeanor change when they're all, mm. you know, all, all proud, of, proud of themselves yeah. and, and confident. Yeah. And it was just it's some Lee and I've had some amazing discussions on the golf course. But what he doesn't realize is that I've learned far more from him than than he ever will for me because <laughs> he's accomplished so much in the game and his yeah. golf IQ is off the charts. So yeah. it's like a win-win for me because I'm learning every day more than I ever thought. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds to me like a bit of a symbiotic relationship there. And and there's one yep. thing that you said that struck me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you said you, you're you so excited to share this this toolkit of information that you're taking away, say from your, your sessions with somebody like Seth Pepper and you just spoke out how you share some of this with you know the players themselves, and in this case, I'm I'm guessing Lee. Yeah, the, the, like it sounds to me that there is this give and take. I mean, you're taking a lot in from their knowledge, but then you're also giving that back as well. Is it, am I under something there? Is that correct? Absolutely. I, I would hope that I provided maybe a little jolt of positivity to to Lee or or, or resurgence. Uh, in his career, just getting him to believe in himself. That's it. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. Well, there, I there was him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong here too as well. There, there was, um, I guess, in 2021 when he had a win after maybe a bit yes. of a, you know, hadn't captured as many wins as of late, but he did get this one. And I think after the the win itself, he was crediting the conversations he was having with you about, you know, some of his past victories. I mean, he's a two-time U.S. Open champion, so this guy knows how to win. He knows how to play. But he was giving credit to to some of the conversations that he was having with you. And I think that maybe speaks to this point of what we're discussing right now. Yeah, in the on um, the, the on camera interview on the green, just as he had won. Yeah, he mentioned my name, which is, is very rare. And it, it kind of took me back. I was just very grateful for that. Right. So just uh, that acknowledgement, I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So if I had some small impact on uh, the outcome of the tournament or, or how he was performing, great. Whatever yeah. I can do, right? Anything we can do to to save shots, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of the relationships that you have or caddies have with players, what is that like? I'd imagine it depends on the person. I mean, each person's going to yes. be a little bit different. But are there certain like do's and don'ts from a, a caddy's perspective of like you talk about this, but you never go into this area? Like, is it any sort of unwritten rules in that sense? 
Are there? Any are you talking about during the round, like during a competitive round, of, or just in general? During or even outside? I mean, and yeah, from a general oh, standpoint. Okay, well, I, I try and avoid anything negative, right? Like, yeah. obviously, during a tournament, you'd never say "Don't hit it here" or "Oh, let's watch out for that water," right? No, no, no. Everything is phrased in the positive. What mm -hmm. we want to do, what we want to accomplish. That's what. I try to bite my lip and think before I speak now how it's going to affect Lee. And then, uh, yeah. Well, how, sorry yeah, to interrupt you. In the pro Sorry to interrupt there. So how would you approach something like that where you're, you're on a, I don't know, you've got a hole where there is, there are some hazards, whether it be a, you know, water hazard or sand trap or something like that. How, how would you approach that? I mean, certainly the players are aware of this, but you want to make sure maybe it's hidden. It's out of sight. How do you, like, what, what uh, would you be saying? I guess from a positive standpoint of, well, good thing about Lee is he basically has a photographic memory, so he knows where all the trouble is, right? But again, if if death is absolutely left and that's where the pin is cut, we'll try and phrase it again in the positive what we want to do. Let's go ahead and hit hit a nice iron, nine iron at at the camera tower right there, right? Just only talking about what we want to do. So there's no mention whatsoever of the trouble. Or if um, I see he's got a club in his hand that brings long into play, which means going over the green, which is usually dead, and there's that's just dead there i uh I'll, I'll say something like okay we want to be below this hole or let's pick a club that keeps us short of the hole you're putting great let's, let's just get the putter in our hand even if that means being 20 feet short of it right and you have to putt to it just uh just phrasing everything in, in the positive and, and not talking about um what could go wrong okay okay and it was interesting when you were just doing that i mean i could imagine you can kind of getting into character a little bit even the tone of your <laughs> voice was changing as well but like that was really fascinating because oh, like okay. the tone was was kind of coming down as well to kind of match this you know this positivity i suppose of what you're trying to do and like you know reassurance maybe was an emotion that i was thinking that you're trying to like imbue with these comments as well and which would certainly make sense yeah. would that be something that like all caddies would sort of do or is that something that you've sort of picked up over the years well i guess the the experienced or better caddies would would do that. Absolutely, trying to reassure your player, phrase everything in the positive. That comes with experience. Yeah, knowing what to say and when to say it. Absolutely, because believe me, I've said said plenty of dumb things and plenty of the the wrong things starting out. But you just pick that up along the way, and it's like a, a game of chess. Trying to think, how can I get my player to do what I want and think that he's the one deciding to do it? You want to influence his thinking to do what you want him to do because. You know, they're trying to win a golf tournament. Sometimes they're not focused on the little details that we are, right? They're thinking about the mm -hmm. shot they want to hit. Yeah. And uh, it, it's very rare that I have, yeah. to, have to call Lee off of a club, meaning he's got the wrong one. But I did do that at the Tournament of Champions last year on a par three. It was the second to last hole of the tournament. He had eight iron in his hand. We had just watched one go long. And I, and I stepped up and I said, no, Lee, it's a nine iron, this or that, whatever. He hit it pin high because of adrenaline, made birdie, but... That's very rare that if if you step in and call a player off a shot, you better be right. Because if you're wrong, it never <laughs> ends up well. Right? I bet. I bet. Yeah. 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 Again, shattering images here, I think, of that Wikipedia definition. I love it. So maybe we could continue on with this sort of, you know, exploration of the the sport itself and return to that point we we sort of touched on earlier of planning and preparation, you know, um, with the rise of technology now. I mean, certainly like yes data analytics uh you know i'm thinking like satellite imagery of courses i mean there's mm -hmm. there's so many more tools available to people like yourself or for analysts for players themselves than 10 15 even five years ago to a certain degree you know like 
to what degree are you leveraging all of that as well? You'd already mentioned lasers as well. I mean, there's mm-hmm. probably tons of other things too. Oh, absolutely. Some, if it's a course we've never seen before, some caddies like on the PGA Tour will look at Google Earth and you, because you can draw lines and uh, do some measurements that way. But when you get to the, the tournament, the yardage book has most of that figured out. Uh, yeah, you talked about lasers. Analytics, yes, the statistics, uh, more so on the PJ Tour, that shot link and the amount of data they have for the players. It's unbelievable. They, they use that. It's a good tool to analyze what you need to do to improve. On our tour, the basic statistics are, are kept. You can look that up on a player's profile online. And of course, I'll take a look at it because I might think in my mind, oh, we need to improve our uh, our iron play. But no, the stats will, will show that uh, around the green, you're wasting too many shots. So it's nice to be able to have that data and just work on what you need to improve on. What I'm curious about, and I don't have an answer for you, is how the emergence of AI, artificial intelligence, is going to play in golf. Yeah. Unbelievable. There's so many implications there. Could it be my travel assistant? Could it help uh, agronomy? Could it help people design a course better, uh, improve our analytics? So I think that the future there with artificial intelligence, how that's going to improve how the game is played. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a talking point right now across industries, across professions. And yeah, certainly golf would be no different in, in that sense. And it's fascinating to see how it could be evolving. And I, I think I have one more question about this, you know, coming up later on. But, you know, what's interesting about it, too, to me, at least, is that golf itself sort of still has this image of being very, very traditional. And yet here we are moving, you know, moving forward in this 21st century. It's, it's, it's tough. It must be really tough for some of the people, the powers that be on top of trying to manage all of this. But uh, we're going to get into that a little bit later. Before we do, though, um, I do have this middle segment here, something called a water cooler story segment. And uh, here I just ask guests to indulge listeners with a story related to the profession. I'd love to hear what you have for us. Okay. ESPN article was written a few years ago about number one was the best gift given to a caddy. Number two was the best uh, caddy quitting story on the course. Number three was the best caddy firing story. And at the time, I think it was like 2018, I didn't have a job. And the guys on tour voted me best firing story. Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay. All right. So, gentlemen, lining this up nicely. Yeah, yeah, great. I mean, we can laugh about it now, but it was um, the end of the season. DA Points and I were at um, Sea Island, Georgia. We were going to miss a cut by a mile. Very last event of the year. And he eagles the last hole, which is a three on a par five. Two beautiful shots made a beautiful putt. He goes, he goes, Mike, I know we're missing the cut. Let's, let's go hit some balls. I want to get this uh, swing recorded while it feels good. And I said, of course, DA. I mean, we'd, we'd won twice together, DA and I, good friends. And um, things weren't going great at that point. But we go to the range and he said, here, film my swing. So I fil- I'm filming the swing with his, with his camera, right? Yeah. Yeah. And across the screen comes for a text from his wife that says, have you talked to Darby yet? Well, <laughs> as a caddy... As a caddy, you know what that means because things were going great to begin with. And I said, oh, what is this supposed to mean? And sure enough, he said, oh, okay, well, I'll meet you at the car. And it kind of of got awkward. And we met at the car, talked about it. It turns out I was replaced before that week had even started. So, you know, I said what I I said what I wanted to say. And I'm glad I didn't lose my my temper because at the time, yeah, yeah, I was upset. But you knew it was coming. You get a feeling when things are coming. And Mm. uh so that, that ended up making it to the ESPN article. And of course, now it's all water under the bridge. I mean, we yeah. won twice together. DA and I could have a, a glass of wine anytime together, right? 
right, but, right, uh, right, right, right. I guess that there's one of the highlights of my career, making an article for the best hiring <laughs> story. <laughs> well, I can see why that one made the cut. I mean, and again, we can kind of laugh and giggle at this right, you know, right now because of certainly all the experience, or sorry, all the accomplishment that you've, you've had since then as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I can see how that might have, uh, you know. Yeah, the story ended up okay. It did. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, I guess kind of like, taking this this wide sort of like view of, of all that you've accomplished, you know, what you've done, you know, some of the highs, some of the lows, what what does the sport and your profession come to mean to you at this point? I mean, we're, we're going from a fairly, you know, light topic into a heavy one. I apologize for that, but uh, I'd, I'd love to kind of hear you know, your perspective on it, all of it, you know, if you will. What does it mean to me? Well, for me, it was, it was a dream come true. Like my goal was to get to the PGA tour but I thank God I quickly realized it wasn't going to happen as a player. It would have been a lifetime of frustration mm -hmm. and very few people get to chase their dream. Right. And uh, for me, that was my dream. And there's a million people to thank, right. It, it just, those that provided me with the opportunity, all the players, family, uh, friends, wife, everyone that supported me in that dream. It's a very selfish profession. Golf is, and I'm just, hope it comes across how grateful I am that I've had the opportunity to chase and live my dream because how many people can say they can't wait to get back to work, right? My season ended at the tour championship in November in Phoenix. I didn't work again until it was like the second week of January at the tournament of champions there. And I've had a couple of weeks off since, and I can't wait to leave on Monday to get back to work. It's uh, it becomes an addiction. I think the competition, right? I'm addicted to the competition and the champions tour has been a great place for me to slow down towards towards retirement because um it's a lot more laid back we only have three competitive rounds we're in power carts until the first tournament round oh wow it's all just, right uh, i don't know why in life despite the ups and downs i've been so fortunate you know i won the lottery with my parents i've got a supporting wife and six-year-old boy mm. and just yeah I, I i can't be thankful enough for all that's come my way yeah yeah i mean i, I certainly get those but the, the grateful vibes from you, from all of that. And I can see why, the way you just laid it out there. Yeah, and I'm sure you, as well, you probably have a lot of people kicking themselves now. Why did, why did I go into tech? Why did I do this? Why, why didn't I chase that dream of getting into golf? Because, yeah, the way you just laid it out there, it sounds, uh, you know, quite attractive, um, despite certainly some of the challenges along the way and uh, yes, you know, difficulties absolutely. within the sport itself. But, yeah. All right. All right. Well, maybe we can shift into this last segment, something called a crystal ball segment. As the name implies, we're looking towards the future, trends, predictions, so on and so forth. And uh, we're going to return to this point of technology again, if you will. Golf purists probably resisted change to a certain degree, unlike a lot of other industries, maybe. Like golf does have a certain lore to it, you know, associated with tradition and everything else. But again, here we are heading into the 21st century. We have things like AI that's, you know, the talking point at the moment. So, you know, technology itself is influencing our daily lives. It's shifting and shaping a lot of different industries and again golf is no different so we're gonna see change whether we like it or not but i'd be curious to, to hear about some of the ways that you see these changes coming about you'd mentioned some already but maybe we could return to some of these ideas that i probably have more questions than predictions that's for sure because the essence of golf is fairly simple we're still trying to you know hit this little ball into the hole into the fewest number of strokes but yeah. like i i guess previously mentioned before I think AI could be one of the big changes in how it affects the industry overall. Everything from, like I said, from course design yeah. to, to travel planning to um, how the tour is operated. 
sports betting has become a huge thing with uh, golf now that they've made um, business partnerships. How is that, that going to be affected by AI? So in terms of the game of golf changing, not, not too, too much. The, the technology of the, the clubs and balls, that's forever changing. It's, they'll hire NASA scientists to help them design the next driver, right? Like that is ever changing. And there might be a point where the, the, it goes too far, right? There, the players are already hitting the ball an absolute mile. But um, so the technology will change there, obviously, with balls and clubs. Uh, but for me, the biggest question is what is the impact AI is going to have on our sport? And yeah. unfortunately, I can't answer that for you, but yeah, I yeah, it's going no, to be fun to watch. Are you seeing people generally embracing it, the technology itself? Say, like, I don't know, the people that are running the sport and then also down to the level of players. I assume players are because, again, it's, it's going to lead perhaps to competitive advantages and whatnot. But the, the gatekeepers, the, yes. the guys on top, the women on top, are they the ones that are embracing it now or, the, or is there still a degree of resistance, would you say? From some of the old guard, there may be resistance, like maybe the boys at Augusta National and the Masters Tournament, but you have to embrace it. You're going to get left behind, right? Like, look at even just watching a PJ Tour event on TV now with this, this shot tracker and the technology and the data from, uh, it's called TrackMan is one of the main products. Like, you'll see that set up at driving ranges all over the, the world now where as an amateur, you can hit balls and you get all this instant feedback and data from hitting one shot. You know, it's it's just incredible. It's mind-blowing. You'll see players warming up with TrackMans, getting data before a round. So they'll know how far the ball is going. Like most people don't know. We have to know how far the ball flies for certain clubs. In every city we go to, it's a different distance based on you know temperature, humidity, wind conditions, altitude. These are all the things I have to know. And like when we're at altitudes, like say somewhere in Reno, the ball goes a mile, right? And all these little things you have to learn each week because it does. It goes a different distance everywhere we go. So it's, it's a learning process every week. Yeah, yeah. Well, that might be a nice kind of point to close all this off on. Again, you know, I've mentioned it three or four times throughout. I think we just destroyed. We shattered this image of Wikipedia and what what, what a caddy does. <laughs> you know, like, to be honest, you know, I, I was a bit concerned when I wrote that down because it's like, oh, this is almost insulting. You know, like if I were, if I were him, I, you know, like, but again, I was like, well, I didn't write it. This is Wikipedia and we can just, you know, we can have some fun with it. We can really add to it. So that's kind of the, the, the perspective I took with it. And uh, I'm glad that we did go about it that way because, yeah, I think that's the end result here is that, uh, you know, people listening to the talk are going to come away with a whole different perspective on on the work that you do, the demands, the rewards, all of it. So I can't thank you enough. I mean, it's been riveting talk and I can't believe we blew through it this quickly. So yeah, thanks so much, Mike. No problem. Anytime. Thank you. Well, for those interested in learning more about Mike and his work, of course, you can check him out online. He does have an Instagram account. He is also on LinkedIn. And for reference, this information will be included in the show notes. Also, if you like today's show, please be sure to share. It goes a long ways. You can also rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcast. In the last year, I did launch a YouTube channel. You can go over there. And the cool thing is I will have some shots associated with the talk, some imagery off the top of the slideshow. You can kind of take that in. And of course, you can enjoy the talk, uh, the, the video aspect of this talk as well. And then finally, don't forget to tune into the next episode of Life as a, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.